That's what she said is fueled by Gatorade, Gatorade's proven formula. Whatever path you take, greatness starts with G. Check out Bald Men on Campus, an ESPN podcast hosted by Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. These ESPN basketball personalities give you an all-access pass inside the world of college basketball, talking to the biggest names in the sport. That's Bald Men on Campus. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. Hope you had a great weekend. Mine was among the best. First, I went to Southwest Michigan for an epic Friendsgiving with a bunch of my friends. It was the 10-year anniversary, so we had a big blowout of our annual uh, flag football game and feast, but this time over multiple nights with more games and food and booze and dancing. Um, Still the same number of victories for yours truly because my team won again. Um, And then after all that debaucherous, crazy fun, got home Sunday in time to watch my team, the Chicago Red Stars, beat the number one seeded Portland Thorns to make it to the NWSL championship game this weekend. Super pumped. Um, Always really cool for the team that you root for to make a big game, to win a big game. Uh, But when the team that you co-own wins a big game to make it to the title, pretty badass. Um... So I'm going to be headed to Louisville this weekend to cheer them on as they take on the Washington Spirit for the title. Um, It's going to be on CBS, that game, noon Eastern on Saturday. Also, you can watch it on Paramount Plus and internationally watch it on Twitch. So tune in and tell your friends and family to tune in. Send lots of good juju to my squad or, you know, come to Louisville and party with me. Come to the game. It's going to be a blast. Check it out on CBS, Paramount Plus or Twitch or again, just come in person. Just come in person and rock some Red Stars gear. Um, don't forget, you can follow and subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain on Apple, iTunes, podcast app, Spotify, wherever. And if you have a moment, go to the iTunes app, rate and review five stars, please. It really does help. Um, you could be like Chiman BJ, who rated the pod and wrote, A Modern Voice for a Modern Day. I've been a fan of Sarah since her days on WMVP Chicago and have watched as she worked to make her voice heard and respected. She's one of the best new voices in sports and is not afraid to share her opinions, even if they make you uncomfortable. She speaks her mind, speaks the truth, and is highly respected in the sports and entertainment circles. If you're tired of the same sports talk, follow Sarah Spain. You won't be disappointed. That's what she said. You rule, Chiman BJ. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. That's really nice. Uh, You could be like that person and go rate and review the pod. Okay, let's get to this week's interview because it's a meaty one. It's a panel conversation from our recent ESPNW Summit, and I thought you guys would find it fascinating. Lots to learn from here. Um, The conversation is with four super successful female leaders talking about leadership, marketing, interview skills and secrets, investment and sustainability when it comes to new ventures and more. Um, And I really learned a lot hearing from them. Um, I think you guys will take away some gems as well. So the panel featured Heidi Browning, chief marketing officer of the NHL and creator of the NHL Power Players Program. Kelly Klein, executive director of football ops for the Denver Broncos. Nicole Lind, president of football ops for Clutch Sports and author of the new book, Agent U. And Molly Marcusaman, who is the new commissioner of the LPGA. Um, every once in a while during the convo, you might hear a military plane fly overhead. That's just a nice reminder that we were in sunny San Diego. Uh, Tory Pines, to be exact. Um So we got to have the occasional dance break when the planes got especially loud, but I cut most of them out. Anyway, lots to to get from this conversation. Hope you enjoy. That's what she said. This is going to be hard, but briefly, I would love for you each to summarize your main duties. So let's start with you, Heidi. All right. I'm the chief marketing officer of the NHL, so I look after our audience growth and engagement. So I look after our, our fan engagement, which is a intersection of technology, business intelligence, and marketing, our social media, which is everything from in-game to original content to player social development, and then last but not least, our fan insights. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm Kelly. I'm our executive director of Football Ops and special advisor to the GM. Um, I just got to the Broncos in May and loving it so much. Um, I kind of categorize myself in three buckets. Scouting, um, I do some pro scouting, 
So I just do some, you know, evals of a team, a practice squad position, things like that. And then with our GM, I help him with, in whatever capacity he needs, you know, I'm just always there with, for him. And no matter what comes up on a, you never know what comes up on a random day. And then operation-wise, um, I kind of manage the equipment department, the video department, and just oversee a couple other people. So that's a new thing that yeah. I'm learning this year. That's a lot of things. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, Jet rudely interrupted when I was trying to say she bought me a bowl of Chardonnay at a previous summit when the Cubs lost in a game. That was very important, and so I will always remember that as being her. Yes. Um, Nicole. Hi, I'm Nicole. I'm an NFL agent. I work at Clutch Sports Group, so I am a agent and then the president of football operations. So my job is uh, mostly negotiating NFL contracts. Dance party? Hmm? No, we're good? Okay. <laughs> All right. Mostly negotiate NFL contracts, brand endorsement deals, helping my guys with um, kind of managing their life. Um, I'm also an attorney. Also an attorney, by the way. <laughs> Something people aspire to all their lives. Just throw it on at the end there. <laughs> Yeah, so that would um, normally be an easy question, but it's a little bit of a trick question since I've been on the job for about seven and a half weeks. Great. Um, so I'm still sorting it out. But as the commissioner sort of have overall day-to-day -day, um, responsibilities, operational responsibilities, P&L responsibilities, and really responsible for the, the strategy of the LPGA. The LPGA, interestingly, is not just the tour. I think people generally think that it's just a professional women's golf tour, but it's a pretty large and complex organization that has three tours, um, the, the LPGA tour, plus the Symmetra Tour, which is a qualifying tour. And then we have a partnership with the Ladies uh, European Tour. So lots of great uh, top best women golfers in the world sort of competing um, at the highest level. But we also have a, um, a 1,800 LPGA professionals, so oversight of the uh, education and certification of our teaching professionals. Wow. And then we, we have a really dynamic foundation whose mission is to allow women and girls to live their dreams through golf and um, work every day to provide those opportunities. And then we have uh, 13,000 amateurs that we um, help, help manage and get them into the game of golf and, again, giving them opportunities through golf. Um, and, you know, the, the, and it's just a pretty complex organization. And then we work with hundreds of partners and sponsors and uh, obviously millions of fans around the globe. So really figuring out how to manage all of that and integrate all parts of the organization to, to reach our goals. I'm going to guess the first seven and a half weeks of the job has just been learning that. I, that, I just, just learned that speech. What you do, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now you start doing it. No, I'm, yeah. I'm still figuring okay, that out. Good. Yep. Um, Nicole. Yes. <laughs> in 2019 and 2020, you represented a handful of top 10 NFL draft picks. And I'm curious, since you were the first woman to represent top three pick, right? First black woman. There was first black second. woman. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shout out to Kim. She yeah. What was first. your pitch to earn them as clients? Because we all know in this room you need someone to say, we're going to put a woman with a national weeknight radio yeah. show. We're going to put Jess Mendoza on Sunday Night Baseball. We're going to put Laura Gentili in charge of ESPNW. Somebody has to say yes, right? Yeah. So how did you earn their trust that you could do it? Yeah, so my first top five pick, I mean, I would love to say that I was the best agent in the business, the hardest worker, most qualified, which... I was all of those things, but honestly, the truth is that I had a 21-year-old young man take a chance on me, right? He was the number one player in college football, could have went anywhere in that top five, ended up going three overall, and said, hey, I know I'm going to go number one or number two or number three, no matter who I'm signed with. Why don't I give a shot to a woman and change the trajectory for women's sports forever? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's really sometimes... You'll see people say these speeches, and it, it makes it look like they've done all this great work, but really I had someone take a shot on me. So if you're in the audience and you have the opportunity to give someone a seat at the table, I challenge you to do so because it changed my life. Well, let's give them a shout-out. Quinn and Williams. Quinn and Williams. <laughs> okay, Heidi, tell me about Sabrina Solomon and why you wanted to bring her in to pitch ideas to you and what you could learn from a young girl. So when I first joined the league, I got a physical letter in the mail, whoever gets physical letters anymore, and it was from this 11-year-old girl named Sabrina Solomon, and she said, I read an article about you, and I know that you're trying to attract younger fans, and I'm here, you know, I'm off school for the summer, I could come work for you, <laughs> and so it was super cute. So we brought her into the office, and thinking, you know, she'd like to meet other people, get some inspiration for a potential future career. Well, she comes in with a full-on PowerPoint deck, filled with wow. ideas, and she presents them with incredible poise, and uh, it was a huge aha moment for us because a lot of the ideas that she shared with us, we were already doing, but she didn't know. And she knows every rule in the rule book by the number. So here's a Ooh. super fan who knows this but doesn't even know what we're doing. 
So from a marketing perspective, what we're doing is not connecting with that younger generation. So she inspired what uh, is now called the Power Players Youth Advisory Board. Uh, we're in our third season of it, and we're just about to announce the, the, the new class. We have 25, 13 to 17-year-olds. Um, this class is 60% female and 33% BIPOC, so we're expanding um, our diversity and inclusion in this group. And we meet with them twice a month, and they advise us on everything, like from, you know, not just hockey, but sports and content and media and technology and life and culture. These are all so important to them and really listening and understanding from them. And it's been really validating of some of our strategies that we already have in place, but it's also been inspiring. And we've taken cues and notes from her and the entire group to um, implement new strategies. And so I, it's a gift that keeps on giving. It's a lot of work, but I highly recommend it because you just have to, you know, what you think you're doing is resonating may not be. So much of what you've done and your success has come from your ability to serve younger demographics. And I feel like I ask this question every year and it's always changing. Like I'm learning Snapchat or now it's like <laughs> I'm doing reels and TikTok. Like we're all just trying to keep up with the latest thing. How have you been able to do that? Because it's hard to stay up to date on their technology, their habits and all that stuff, especially as we get older. Yeah. I mean, we're always implementing and learning. And I'd say what we focus on a lot is really kind of fine tuning what we already have in place, all the social media channels. They're helping us, you know, kind of craft our content and our thumbnails and our stories. And they tell us what they like um, across all of sports and culture that we try to bring in cues to that. And we've got, you know, a, a whole series of themes that have emerged through the years that seem pretty consistent uh, as we go along. And we're trying to apply everything that we do from a strategic and creative standpoint around these themes. So there's one theme that's called See Me, like this idea of being recognized by a league, a team, or an athlete means everything to, to these young fans. Inclusivity, that is paramount to everything they do. And, and to a T, 100% of every power player that's come on board has been super passionate about that and helping the league really understand what's important to young people and how to bring our commitment to DEI to life. Kelly, speaking of DEI, the numbers are growing, but there are still very few women on the football side in the NFL. And I, I wonder if you could share briefly how you got started with the Vikings and the major way to the Broncos, because it was sort of happenstance. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny. I was a PR intern just on game day and just helping on the office a little bit. And then two months before the draft, after the season, um, the scouting intern quit. So, and I just knew the guys from being in the office and helping out. And they asked me to come help out with scouting. And I had no clue what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I'd never played football. I'd never, you know, yeah, I just watched the Packers growing up. That was about it. But so I took, you know, Rick Spielman took a chance on me, kind of, and asked me to come in and help out. And then um, I, proved, I guess I proved myself before the draft there and then hired me on for an intern. So I did that for a year. And then um, I got full time and then just slowly um, climbed my way up and then, George Payton got the job at the Broncos, and now he took a chance on me, I guess. I still have a lot to prove. I just got there in May as well. Um, but, yeah, it's just you never know when, you know, those connections you're going to make or just having friends around the building, whatever department, um, just getting in the door yeah. first, and then you can leap around to different departments because we have a lot of scouting interns we hire come from ops or PR or wherever, you know, video. Um, We've heard people from all over. So you just, yeah, you just got to get your foot in the door, which, which is what I did. And it does feel like there are a lot more girls that are finding opportunities in the high school or even collegiate level to work for their team at the school and get those reps in before they even get to the pros. Yeah, especially the collegiate level has really grown, I think. Um, you know, I have a lot of women reach out, young women reach out to me, and I, write, I tell them, you know, they ask what to do. I'm like, you're killing it already. You yeah. are so involved. You're <laughs> running your program, basically. Um, but it's, it's really, really grown. And what Sam Rappaport at the league has done and that whole, you know, the women's forum the, the NFL puts on is incredible. It's yeah. absolutely incredible. And they do it every year at the Combine. And now we have, you know, we have a whole group chat of women who work in football um, throughout the NFL. And, uh, you know, every time there's someone at a college who, oh, you know, or there's an opening at a, you know, at any team, they reach out and we send it out to the colleges. And we're just, it's a really big community that's grown and it's going to keep growing. It's just really, really cool to see. Mm -hmm. Molly, you're relatively new, as you mentioned, so you've got to tackle this LPGA using what you've learned at your other jobs, notably director of athletics at Princeton and nearly two decades in management at Chelsea Piers. What are the biggest skill sets you took from those and now you're applying to the LPGA? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I've been fortunate at all stages of my career to be given sort of opportunities that I probably wasn't 100% qualified for, just with someone similarly. Oh, so you're a man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, And so, you know, have had this chance to run fairly complex organizations. And the LPGA, as I mentioned before, is a pretty complex organization that, you know, requires uh, getting people aligned around mission and vision and values and strategy. So, you know, I think my work at Chelsea Piers was uh, phenomenal because I was given these opportunities, again, that, you know, I ran this banquet hall and my my greatest uh, culinary talent is burning toast. (laughs) And so the the idea of running this very high-end banquet center was unusual, but it gave me an opportunity to lead a complex organization with a big team. But so I learned a ton there. I think getting a complex organization and making it simple is really the key to success when you're running something at at that level. But I think the the opportunity that actually probably changed my biggest, set me off onto a path for my career was my first job out of college. And I graduated from Princeton, as you said, and I went to work at a boarding school. And similar type of thing, they just said, okay, listen, we need a women's hockey coach, you're it. And I had never coached, I had never been an assistant coach. And they said, you're the head coach of this girl's team. And sort of immediately my mindset shifted from being trying to be the best player that I could be to all of a sudden taking care of the whole team. And I think that's what you need to be a good leader is to have the mindset that your job is to serve others and to put the team first with everything that you did. And so that sort of moment clicked and I said, if I had just thought of that as I was an athlete on the team, if I had just realized that my job is to make the team better every day, Mm -hmm. I would have had more fun. The team would have been better. But as I was given this opportunity to be the head coach and had to figure out how to manage all these girls, uh, high school girls, which I have two of myself now, so I know I don't know how I did it back when I was 21, but that set me off into a path of, of leadership. Um, so I think you have to have the experience and the skills, but largely the right mindset to lead. So that's really helped with this organization, just going in, I'm on sort of a 100-day plan where I'm listening, learning, trying to dive into the details of it, and then we'll set a strategy, and then we'll get at it, just like you'll get at it when you're trying to win a football game or win a hockey game. Um, so I think that those skills are really important. You mentioned that sort of like you're in the listing and learning stage. What have you identified so far as the biggest opportunity for growth and maybe the biggest opportunity uh, uh, to fix a challenge? Yeah, I mean, I think we've all been talking about it this week. There's, there, we're in this moment of time where there is a huge opportunity for women's sports. I think the LPGA is very interesting because we've been around for 71 years and we've had a, a lot of success. I think that success has come at the expense of a lot of women putting themselves, the, the founders, the 13 original founders who set, set themselves up on this path with really no hope that they were going to make a living doing this, but they, they were pioneers in every way. And we just celebrated that last week at a big tournament honoring our founders and one of the original founders was there and the stories that she tells of the the starting of the LPGA she's 94 and she can spin a tail like no one else I mean she's the most inspirational woman I've ever met Um, so we've had great success but we're in this moment where we can take that big next step Um, you know next year we're going to have something like 85 to 90 million dollars in purses for our players to compete for which is was remarkable and we've had this unique philosophy of sort of always doing what we needed to do sort of acting like a founder has been the mantra that uh, the former commissioner put forward, which everyone believes in, is like every day wake up, try to make the organization better. So we're in this moment where we've done really well, but the next step is figuring out how to be unique and and focus on the sponsors, focus on the partners, deliver what they need to to continue to support us, but also, I think, figure out how we can allow our women to reach their peak potential too, sort of with the environment, how much much recovery they can get, how much sleep they can get, sort of what the, the food is that we serve them at tournaments, how they travel to different things. I think we've been kind of surviving rather than fully thriving. So I think that I see those two things as sort of continuing to be really unique and deliver an unbelievable product to our sponsors while also really focusing on um, the opportunity for our women to reach peak performance. I think another big, I mean, there's many other challenges. One of the things for me is I think that we all have to realize that sports is a mechanism for sort of growth in life. And so we need to, through golf and through other sports, provide that opportunity to kids whose families can't afford it. So through our foundation, we have 500 USGA girls, uh, LPGA girls golf sites where we're digging into communities and saying, hey, this is a sport for you and this is how this will change your life. So, you know, focus on that as an example. We need to, just like you're all talking about, we need to reach a different fan base. If our women are so remarkable, these are the best golfers in the world. And imagine waking up every day, going to work, and then you have to post a score that the whole world will see every time you come home. And you're competing against the best, other best women in the world. So it's a really hard 
physically and mental, mentally and physically challenging game. And these women stand up there and perform at the highest level. And I'd like the rest of the world to see how remarkable these women are uh, more regularly. So we've got a great fan base of people who play golf, but I want to reach into the younger generation and say, these are women who can inspire you in everything that you do. Um, so those are some of the challenges. There's a long list, yeah. but I also see those challenges as huge opportunities for us. Michelle Wee was on my show and talking about how she was trying to take from what was ultimately Rachel Epstein's brilliant idea of the orange W sweatshirt for the WNBA mm. getting spread around the world and becoming this cultural moment. She was doing something similar with these tie-dye LPGA and trying to get all the guy golfers to get involved. And there's a lot of, I think, learning from different leagues and sports and players how to, how to drive things. Um, speaking of that, Nicole, you're leading and driving by virtue solely of your position, which was impressive enough when you were an agent. But now you are president of football ops for Clutch Sports. So how have your responsibilities changed as a result? I mean, they haven't actually changed much. I mean, I represent around 19 NFL players personally, but as an agency, we have somewhere around 51. And so really it's just making sure that kind of I'm hands-on with everyone or at least having oversight um, oh, I'm seeing these pictures. These are great <laughs> pictures. Where'd you get those from? Um, part of my job is really having relationships with our guys and making sure that I know them in and out so that when they're done with the NFL, we can make that seamless transition out of the league. And so now I get to touch more players, right? So it's not just my 19 guys and what's that next step look like, but it's our entire organization. Um, but it hasn't changed much. Still doing that. I need to hang out with more football players. You look so cute <laughs> in every photo. <laughs> just like a little nugget. <laughs> like that one picture I took with cool. Liz Cambage. They once. keep me cool. I always have to text That's them it. like my tennis shoes. I'm like, are these cool or lame? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they yeah. will be like, those are lame. <laughs> <laughs> well, that leads to my next question, which is your job goes beyond simply negotiating contracts. Yeah. You are helping these young men with money matters, charitable giving, their personal brand, and who they are beyond just being a football player. How much of that was necessity? Like, okay, these guys need my help. And how much of it was they came to you and said, we trust you with more than just our contract? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, I think a lot of it is necessity. We have to remember that most of them have been playing football since they were five years old, never had the opportunity to have an internship, never had to build out a resume, never had to draft professional emails. And so when I came into the league, I created a program called Fishers of Men for each of my guys. They call it rookie school. And it's really taking them through adulting lessons, how to tip at a restaurant, how to balance a checkbook, how to draft an email. And so part of that's necessity. But I do everything from ordering toilet paper on Amazon if asked, uh, reminding them that it's Mother's Day and booking uh, you know, dinner reservations or ordering flowers, all the way up to negotiating their deals, their big brand and endorsement deals. And kind of really, I'm, I'm really like a life coach, life manager, uh, mentor. I feel like maybe all people's agents should be women when it comes to balancing so and being able to do all the business side plus all the things you just said. That seems like just right in our wheelhouse as women, Absolutely. understanding how we have to balance our lives. Um, Heidi, professional leagues across the landscape have been talking a lot about DEI, about inclusivity, and in particular about diversity, especially in recent years as we look across the way that sports reflect the social issues of the world. And there is this phrase, hockey for everyone. How are you making sure that that is a reality and not just an ideal? Well, first, I need to do a shout out to my colleague, partner and friend in the C-suite, Kim Davis, who, uh, since joining the league, has really been accelerating the great work that we had already been putting into place uh, and amplifying it. Um, Hockey is for everyone is our vision, right? It's our North Star, and we have a lot of work to do to get there, and we understand that. Uh, and for decades, we've been investing in underserved communities to ensure that we've got learn-to-play programs and equipment exchanges and really trying to make hockey accessible to youth and young fans. Um, but we're also doing the deep work, the hard work, right? That um, Kim has brought to us a lot of education and tools and resources that we are taking to every level within the hockey ecosystem to make sure that we truly create this inclusive environment. And then from a marketing perspective, we're really focused on representation and normalizing the faces, the voices, the experiences of our fans, of our players, and also of our employees. Um, and it's really important that we continue to shine a light on these stories, these important stories throughout all of our marketing and our content. And then the, the last piece that we're doing is really being intentional about how we talk about where we stand on these issues. That is so important. And as we hear from our power players, pretty much every time we talk to them, how important this is to them that they need to know 
that the sport that they love shares the same values that they have. And with that, we are going to create this world in which we're truly inclusive for everyone. That feels pretty ubiquitous across fans of anything in the younger generation is really aligning the values with the thing they love, not just being a fan of it in the abstract. Um, and I love that you're doing the internal work because you can't go into houses and change maybe the perspective that these players are raised with. But once you get into those locker rooms, the same way that you can play was a massive mover for the LGBTQIA community within the hockey world. I think the same thing for racial diversity and acceptance is required, right? That idea of if you're helping our team and then you're one of us and whatever we were raised with or came in with, we have to sort of be able to move past and learn our way out of, yeah. um, which is a long process. It's yeah. more complicated than just some taglines. And I think a lot of leagues are learning that now, how, how deep the work has to go. Um, Kelly, you mentioned Sam Rappaport. I am obsessed <laughs> with Sam. Get she up. is the best. The best. Um, and if you guys are not familiar, do the work on Sam Rappaport and the Women's Careers in Football Forum. The number of women working in football, the women you see on the sidelines, that is her initiative to stop people from saying, well, we just don't have anyone interested, or, well, there just isn't a pipeline. She said, well, guess what? Here it is, and I'm putting these women directly in front of coaches, GMs, every single possible person that can give them a job tomorrow yeah. and I'm vetting the ones that show up so they're ready for that job tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So since that has happened, you have seen more women around you. Mm -hmm. You have now these women to celebrate with or commiserate with on various parts <laughs> of your job and your life. I wonder, does that affect the number of people who make assumptions about you and your role? Have you experienced less sexism from the football world because there are more of you or is the fight the same? It's definitely improved, I will say that. My first year, my first pro day I ever went to, um, <laughs> I was the only girl there, only woman there, scouting. And um, this player went up to everyone. He shook all the guys' hands, thanked them for coming. And I was at the end of the line, clearly with everyone, with my little clipboard, my stopwatch. And, uh, <laughs> and he just turned and walked away. Didn't say a word to him. I'm like, okay. Um, but I got back and I told my boss about that and he wasn't going to get drafted or signed. But um, we, <laughs> no offense. Well, I'd have been my client. <laughs> <laughs> he would have come for a tryout for our rookie minicamp and we scratched him. We're like, no, you're good. <laughs> but that was an example from, I don't know, eight years ago probably now. Um, it's really, really improved um, with the help of Sam because, you know, whenever we have an issue, we can call Sam and she has the power to get it changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible to just have someone at the league office or even our own building. Um, I, have to, I have to give a shout out to Brittany Boland. She's here. She's our VP of strategy and our owner. And Brittany, you know, just unbelievably supportive. She heard about this. She's like, can I come? I want to support you. And nice. like, you should be Amazing. up here, Brittany. But <laughs> um, we have her at the Broncos and we also have Sydney Jones, our reporter here too. Um, but if we ever have anything in there as well, we have these incredible women who have the power now and who can get things changed. You know, there's there's still issues around the league with, um, you know, locker room rules or clothing or just, you know, just random things like that that you don't think about should be an issue. Because you look in the college, you know, look in college, women are everywhere. There's right. a lot more women. There's, um, I don't know, you're just used to it. And the guys are used to it. Everyone's used to it now. And it's getting better. It's definitely improving, but there are still little battles that we have to fight. Um, but it is huge to have people like Sam and like Brittany and whoever that get these things changed. So It's funny you, you mention that because I feel like for the people here who maybe don't have this already, it is so important to create, even if you meet once a month, mm -hmm. a group of women yes. that work wherever you are that you are offering up and sharing experiences with to find out if there are institutional problems that need to be remedied, to find out if you can get support or just an ear that you need to vent to and then move on. I'll tell you, with W being at ESPN, it is a massive feeling of safety for me that if, I mean, poor Laura, gosh, I'll send her emails random like, look at this dumbass and what he said. Can we talk <laughs> about that? Or like, I don't like this. Let's do something about this. And I just like send them all to Laura. But if you don't have a W yeah. at your company, mm -hmm. you can feel kind of adrift sometimes. And the same goes for just bonding with other women that are sharing your experience and being able to use each other to advance and lift each other instead of f falling into the traps of being told you have to compete. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that can happen when there's just a distance that comes from not knowing each other well enough to root for each other and push each other along. So that connection's huge. Nicole, I mean, I would ask the same of you. Um, there's a great story that probably some people have heard, maybe they didn't know it was you, about um, a, a hotel and a, and a player of yours. 
Yeah, very annoying. I won't mention the <laughs> NFL team, but early on in my career, I was going to see a player before a game, which is traditional for agents to go the night before, meet at the team hotel, maybe take your guy to dinner in the lobby. And the security at the hotel thought I was a girlfriend trying to sneak in. You know, when I became certified, I was 26 years old, so I was very young, and I get it. A lot of my clients were my peers, but I remember telling them, like, no, I'm an agent. I promise I'm an agent, and, I mean, no one knew who I was, and, and so, yeah, they escorted me out of, the, out of the hotel, and I will never forget Ooh. that. Very embarrassing. But, I mean, it's so common, though. Even the pro day stories, like, I'm always the only woman at the pro day. You know, I mean, it's gotten better, but I can absolutely relate to you on that. I mean, to be fair, that player did try to sneak in his girlfriend in uniform Very last true. year, uh, which true. was not <laughs> the best plan. Very true. I think I would have gone with something other than a uniform. For <laughs> I think it was probably noticeable that she was not quite the right size. Um, but has it gotten better in general? Yeah, it it actually has. You know, it's funny because there's a lot more allies in the NFL than are probably talked about. A lot of general managers, head coaches that really look out for me and other women, mm. make sure they're giving us the same amount of information that they're giving the men. Um, certain guys I'd shout out, like Chris Ballard at the Colts GM, amazing. Mike Mayock, amazing. So certain, certain people that are really making it an initiative uh, to help women. I'm a huge Les Snead fan. He has okay, reached yeah, out yeah. multiple times to He's commend amazing. us for stories on great. inclusivity and, yeah. and stuff like that. So We'll get right back to the interview, but first... You're going to learn today. The word of the week is titty nope. That's right. Titty nope. I said it. It's not what you think. It's a small quantity of something left over, specifically food or drink. So the last drop or two in a wine glass, a few grains of rice in the bottom of a pot, a bit of pizza crust on a plate, a couple beans left in your bowl. The origin of titty nope is unknown, but most believe it derived from the late 14th century word tittle meaning a small stroke or point in writing. So like an accent above a letter or the dot above an I, which came to sort of start to mean anything little, which, you know, tittle, little, tiny, tittle, uh, titty nope. So in a sentence, our friends giving dinner featured so many delicious dishes, full stomachs prevented most from finishing. In fact, not a plate was cleared that didn't have a titty nope. Bet you start using that because why wouldn't you? That is a fun word. Teddy nope. Now let's get back to the interview. Okay, this one's for all of you, and I guess we can go left to right. Um, I passed kindergarten. Um, I'm fascinated by this, and so I tend to ask all my panels of powerful people. So how much do you feel the need to lean into societal expectations for women to be persuasive, to work with important parties, to thrive in the climate in which you work, and how willing are you to upend those stereotypes and traditional roles in pursuit of what you need and want? So you're starting with me. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> no pressure. Uh, and no pressure. You know, I've been in male-dominated uh, world all my career. Digital, data, technology, uh, sports is really no different. And um, I remember early on in my, when I got to an executive level, some my friend of mine told me, he said, don't let anyone change you. You are where you are because of who you are. And I've yeah. always tried to embrace that. And, you know, you show up, you got your data, you know, to back up your ideas and you deliver results and you, you know, and you learn from it. And then you step and repeat and step and repeat and step and repeat. And, you know, what I learned over time is that, you know, I was always overachieving trying to prove myself in this sea of, you know, men and, and, and whatnot. Um, but the most powerful kind of um, element to bring into the equation was really around vulnerability. And that's hard to do as a woman when you're in a man's world, right? But it still, I believe, is the most important um, quality that you can bring man or woman to the table as a leader. Yeah, that's so true. We heard about that last night too, even from Halle Berry, right? Yeah. That she led for her whole career with that vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Kelly? Yeah, I agree. And I think, yeah, listening to Halle even, you know, she's like, you can't think about it. You just have to focus on yourself, which is what I try to do. But you do feel a little bit of pressure. Um, especially in the NFL, I think as you know, we're still getting there with more women, but um, I think that also creates a drive in you to prove it and to prove yourself and just every day, you know, I, I'm very hard on myself. I'm sure we all are. Um, but, and I think it is a little bit of that pressure. Um, but I just, yeah, just what Haley said, just be you or she had a quote yesterday that was great, but yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like you can be yourself 
in your workplace or do you, cause I know Jess Mendoza said last night off the record, sorry, <laughs> streaming people. Um, <laughs> she said that it is different going and working the college softball world series versus MLB. She just is a little bit more relaxed and more herself around all the women she works with. Um, do you, do you feel like you're the same Kelly at work and around football as you are with your girlfriends or do you maybe subconsciously even temper some of the more traditional yeah. feminine qualities? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, I'm pretty much a tomboy through and through. Um, I have my whole life, which helps me probably. I think it's always helped me. Um, but for like, if I have to go get my nails done or, you know, I get my nails done or my hair done. I was like, okay, sorry guys. Like I need to go do this. It's those little things, but I try not to bring them up or, you know, like talking about weddings or whatever it is. It's, you don't talk about it with the guys. You don't talk about it at all. So you just kind of keep some of that stuff aside. Um, just, and I guess that's true. I don't want to seem too girly or too, um, I don't know, not, so I don't fit in. Um, but we have such a good group of guys. We had at the Vikings, we have at the Broncos and I mean, everyone just cares about each other and like genuinely. So everyone is, is, you know, themselves day in and day out. Yeah. Nicole, about you? I couldn't be more different. <laughs> in my mind, I think I'm Beyonce, but apparently I'm not. It's really weird. Um, you know, when I joined this industry, I made a really strategic decision that I was going to be my authentic self every day, which is what Kelly does. It just happens to be a different self over here. Always in a hill, always in 22-inch Beyonce, blonde hair, lips, you know, nude lip, whatever that looks like for me. Um, I wanted to make sure that I was never covering so the concept of covering is when you hide intimate details about yourself to conform to the dominant culture, right? So when I worked in Wall Street, I decided not to co cover. When I worked in big law, I decided not to cover and same in sports. So I show up every single day as a black woman and talk like I've, you know, I do in my culture and in my private time so that when the black girl comes behind me, hurdles, that they are used to seeing a black woman in those spaces acting like the way I want to act. And so... You know, I just think if, if you show up as yourself, you know, you're the secret sauce. And mm. just remember, excellence is your greatest currency. Mm. As long as you are excellent in everything you do, it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what you say, excellence is your greatest currency, so. I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm getting flashbacks to the amazing Bozema St. John a couple of years ago who was sending that same message. I'm, if I'm the first that they've seen yeah. that looks and talks and dresses like this, great, fine. Then the next person has it easier, but I'm going to walk yeah. into those rooms being 100% myself. By the way, if you don't follow Bozema St. John on Instagram, um, you're missing just like the greatest FOMO opportunities of your life. I don't know when she's home. I don't know when she's not fully head to toe in the most amazing outfit you've ever seen hanging out with famous people. Uh, what about you? I mean, it, you're relatively new to this job, so you could say for the LPG or just in general in your career. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's just another reason to put girls in sports at a young age. I mean, I, I grew up just playing with the boys in the neighborhood. I grew up playing, you know, all sports, but also playing golf at a public golf course with old people, young people, and having to be yourself in every environment. And I think that's really critical that that uh, girls get out there and try different things and be in environments with boys, with men, with you know, women. So I think I, I always felt pretty comfortable in lots of different environments. And I think for the first 20 years of my career, I didn't even realize I was a woman. You know, it was sort of like, hey, this opportunity is given you, go get it. You know, excellence is your currency, go do the best you can do. And I just kept getting promoted and moving up. I think when, when I got to Princeton and it was just a, you know, a very uh, sports specific environment. So we have 37 teams, football, men's basketball. And I really hadn't even thought that I was going to be the first woman in this athletic director job until the press conference. <laughs> and the person asked me that question, I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. And they're like, you hadn't thought that you're the first female athletic director at Princeton, I think 10 or 11% of Division I ADs are, are women, and it just hadn't dawned on me. But through the course of my seven years there, there were a number of sort of weird moments, one being at, a, at an alumni um, event in New York City, and a guy who was about 106, you know, <laughs> stood up in the back and raised his hand, and he said, um, I think this is an appropriate, inappropriate question. Oh boy. I was like, so start, just stop there. Start. You know, like if you're leading with, I think this is an inappropriate question, maybe don't, don't ask it. But he was like, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So how do you think as a woman, you will be able to recruit the very best football player and football players and men's basketball players? Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
Well, the good news is I don't actually have to recruit them. Right. You know, my job is to create the environment for the coaches who I'm happen to be you know, very close with and who we work strategically together to go recruit the very best players that fit our mission. But just the fact that, you know, this was seven years ago, the guy would stand up and say, how do you think you're going to be able to do this job as a woman when you're sort of running male sports? So that was a little bit of an eye opener for me. But I just, I just have to always, the same thing as these guys, you just have to be yourself. You have to be authentic in everything you do. I think also bringing in your challenges challenges as a, as a working mom is really important to share the vulnerabilities, to share the stresses. The other day I was in a meeting and I had, you know, lots of people sitting there and my son kept calling me and I was like, oh my God, I, I guys, I got to take this call. Like, I think he's, you know, he calls me a lot, but he was just kept <laughs> calling and kept calling. And I answered the phone and he goes, did you take my Skittles? Oh God. <laughs> I was like, I didn't take your Skittles and I'm in the middle of a meeting, you know, yeah. but those are the things. And then we just laugh about it. You know, th that's who we are. And yeah. we got to take the normalize calls from our it. kids when they call, normalize it. And we are our whole self as we come to work. So mm -hmm. I think that's really important to be. I think your answer sort of reflected where I always land on this, which is, yeah, sometimes I kind of don't bring it to the forefront because it feels like it'll get in the way. But then also sometimes I lean into it because it's necessary. Yeah. And we need to lean into it sometimes because the sort of hiding of the realities of women's lives has allowed us to be forced into a model that was created for men that people want to keep that way yeah. instead of respecting that there might be changes required in the workplace so that women can breastfeed or use the restroom. That was one of the big ones with the NFL when they started having female referees is they didn't have a bathroom to go to close enough where they were wearing men's uniforms instead of women's cut and so if we don't bring up the ways that the world was created for men and how they need to change then we just perpetually put ourselves in uncomfortable situations instead of forcing that change um molly i wanted to ask you because you mentioned that you kept getting these opportunities that maybe you weren't quite ready for we need to hear your secrets <laughs> <laughs> i want do you have like a specific interview strategy? Do you have like a leadership ethos? What's your secret weapon for continuing to get these great jobs, particularly if you admit that maybe you're just on the edge of like, I'll figure it out when I get there. <laughs> a lot of that. A lot of I'll figure out when I get there. Um, you know, someone asked me who I love and respect who's in the industry, she sort of called me right as the announcement came out and she was like, all right, what's the deal? Like I was trying to get this friend of mine this job and, you know, there were a lot of people looking for the job. Like, how did you get it? And I sort of flippantly answered just like, I don't know. I think if you're just like a really nice person and you work really hard to support others. And she's like, no, 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 no. We got a lot of people like that. You know, what is the... What's the deal? And, you know, I, I do really think that if you wake up every day thinking about how to make the organization better and that you really do believe that you are a servant leader, I think that really comes, you know, I think that's a big factor. I think in this interview process for the LPGA, they did a really good job of, you know, sort of getting what your experience is and what your knowledge is, is and what your successes have been. But then they kind of wanted to work with you in community to solve a problem in the interview. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, probably is my... You you know, hopefully one of my skills is to be able to really just listen and try to make people in the room get their ideas across, collaborate as well as you can possibly collaborate. And then every minute thinking you own the business, you know, you, you just, you are dying to make it great no matter what you do. So I think that interview process and also, you know, the connection that you have with people, being your authentic self, you know, being vulnerable as you go in saying, hey, listen, I've never, the, the, one of the um, people on the interview panel was the CEO of a major company and I asked him, I said, you know, what, what are some of the things that you're concerned about with my candidacy? And he kind of railed off a few and I was like, oh, okay, so you're kind of concerned about it. But then we just laughed about it and he said, well, this is how I would tackle that problem. You know, he said, you don't have a lot of global experience. You've never worked. This is a very global tour. We have women from 60 different countries playing on our tours. You know, we, we have tournaments in 12 different countries this year. Um, and, and I said, listen, the biggest thing is I, I'm smart enough to know what I don't know and to go out there and get help doing it. So I think it's just really about being a team player at, at every turn. And, um, you know, I think, again, some organizations do a better job of getting that through an interview process. You also bring those Ted Lasso biscuits, right? Every yeah, of course. Every time. That always Every helps. time. <laughs> Heidi, I want to talk about some, something that's fascinating in the hockey world, which is the nice but perhaps limiting expectation that the, the jersey logo is more important than the name on the back. This is a wonderful concept, but it makes it difficult to um, market individual players and personalities, which we all know is like the bread and butter of sports now. Have you faced a lot of pushback in trying to elevate individuals outside of the brand? 
Well, you hit the nail on the head, right? This is a hockey culture moment, right? Where it is about the name on the front of the sweater, not the name on the back. It's all about team and no one individual ever rises above. And so, you know, when I first joined the league up until today, every day is about educating our GMs, our owners, our coaches, our, you know, our club leadership. Um, and it's endorsed at the very top from the commissioner about the importance of allowing and enabling our players to be storytellers and be told about their stories, but also to participate in social media. And I've got to say, over the course of the years, we've started to see more and more players come out, right, and, and tell their stories and stand up for their issues. And in fact, uh, this last summer, uh, we had the most players ever post on social media. Uh, and, and you know, five years ago, we had the least number of players posting the least often. This wow. summer, we had uh, 674 players out of just over 700 posting, which is incredible. Wow. Uh, and it's, again, it's just been a constant uh, drumbeat in partnership with the NHLPA to um, empower and enable these players to do it. They still get a little razzing in the locker room, we know that, mm -hmm. um, but as the younger generation comes in and starts to show that you can be the ultimate teammate on the ice and you can also have a life off the ice and never the two will affect each other, that's what's gonna continue to grow this, uh, this capability. One of my first gigs uh, was a startup website and I was in the Blackhawks locker room and I did all these videos bringing out their personality. Chris Versteeg rapping Fergie's Glamorous and you know asking about their team Halloween parties and the thirst was so real for that. Yeah. And the Blackhawks in-house television realized how much people wanted to get to know them. And it is interesting how there's you have to pull it out of them and in other sports it's like maybe tone it down a little. Maybe we don't need to share all of those behind the scenes on your IG live as they're happening, <laughs> just in case. Exactly. Uh, well, and, and now being with ESPN, they're so excited about the story building power of mm -hmm. ESPN and are really, really leaning in. And you can start to see um, other areas of the culture changing, like um, you know how you dress for arrivals, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're starting to see the policies loosen up. Those are all established on a team-by-team -team basis. So uh, we're going to, you know, I think we're in the dawn of a new day for our players and their personalities. Well, I saw Chris Versteeg was grading all the players last year during the playoffs as they came in on their fits. So uh -huh. I think, you know, they know they're being judged now. Um, Nicole, I want to ask you about, you have the book, which we all received. I can't wait to read it. But you have a new TV show inspired by your life. It's going to be produced I'm and released by 50 Cent <laughs> and Stars. Um, I talk a lot to women in male-dominated industries, and they deal with a lot of interviews and story requests. In fact, I just interviewed Becky Hammond on my podcast. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. And we talked about <laughs> how she doesn't do a lot of interviews in part because she wants the focus to be on the work. And sometimes the firsts and onlys, there's overexposure. She yep. said she got sick of hearing herself. How do you balance being representative, showing women that this is what they can do, but also making sure that your clients know you're focused on them and not the book and the TV show and the... I'm focused on all of it because humans are not one-dimensional, especially yeah. women. We are multifaceted. So I can be an agent. I can be an attorney. I can be an author. I can be a wife. I can be a friend, and I can be great at all of them, and so can you. And I talk about that, actually, in the book. You know, also, exposure, it's tough. We get, I bet you all get so many requests for interviews, and I turn down 99% of them. But there's got to be some level of exposure for the people that are trailblazers so that other people that look like them can see what it looks like to do that job. So if you can see it, you can be it. You know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have known I could be a sports agent if I had not seen Kelly Masters, one of the best sports agents to ever do it. If I didn't see her in an interview, I would have never known, like, oh, this is actually possible. So there definitely is a balance. Um, but if anyone tries to put you in a box and say that you are just a reporter or just an analyst, or I mean, that is BS, frankly. You can do it all. When's the show coming out? In a year. Yeah. Okay. I'm not in the show. It's just it's a <laughs> scripted show about a sports agent. I'm an executive producer. Um, and then the book is not a memoir. It's a self-help book about how to get a seat at the table, advocate for yourself, be your own agent. I love that. I always ask this. People struggle. I ask my podcast, uh, Your Biggest Failure. I talk about this wow. great woman, Sarah Rob O'Hagan, who wrote an entire book about really successful people and when they screwed up. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times successful people don't remember that because they just remember it as a pivot to more success or figuring something out. But can any of you pinpoint a moment when you made the wrong decision, where things didn't work out the way you had hoped? And whether you learned from it or not, you could still offer it up to people here that even you at one point have done wrong. I'll just quick say something. 
I've screwed up so many times, and I've gotten yelled at so many She's times. Especially with learning how to evaluate talent and knowing yeah. stuff. I mean, we all go through it, and everyone, you have, that's how you grow, though. And, you know, sometimes we get after our interns or whatever it is, but sometimes you need that. You need to screw up. You need to learn. You need to know that you have to be detailed all the time, and you cannot miss on those details because especially, you know, in evaluating or when you need to know about a guy and, you know, what he did in college, we need to know every single detail. And one time I didn't know a detail, and I got my ass chewed. And I remember I went for a run, and I just start crying. I'm like, why am I doing this? You know, but it makes you stronger. It makes you, you know, just keep fighting. It, you know, yeah. just forces that drive in you to be better and better and better. So I think it's good to, for everyone to screw up. Yeah. I remember when I was negotiating my first big, big NFL deal, I got the media involved. So great. Uh, story for the ESPNW conference. I was like, if I get the media involved and I leak this to the media, then it'll help me get the deal done. But then when you don't win the points of the deal that you put in the media, then you fail publicly to everyone because the media says, oh, it, it didn't happen. So I had to learn very early on as an agent, like what makes sense to actually give to reporters and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so that wasn't you can always trust me. <laughs> it's now. It's now. I would say what you should do is give me all of it, and then I can help you figure out which stuff I got you. should get out. Um, let's hear it for these incredible ladies. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. This is a place for rants, raves, and everything in between. Sometimes I'll complain about something. Sometimes I'll tell you something to watch, read, listen to. Uh, I do have a rant uh, that's brewing. Uh, it just came to me uh, today. I'm gonna I'm gonna hone it. I'm gonna get it ready for you next week. Um, it does involve parking meters, um, and it also involves parallel parking, separately but related. I will get into that soon. This week, I will instead rave. No ranting, just raving. Cause honestly, I'm in a great mood. My team won, feeling good. The Bears didn't lose because they had a bye. They didn't win, but they didn't lose. So let's keep it positive. I want you to listen to Mark Marin's WTF pod, the most recent episode, Cancelled Comedy. So it features Cliff Nesteroff and David Cooley talking to Mark about, quote unquote, you know, cancel culture, which doesn't actually exist. Uh, it's more accountability for your actions and your right to free speech, uh, but not your right to freedom of consequences. Um, but the way they talk about it is fascinating because Cliff Nesteroff does a ton of research into the history of comedy and that the claims of cancellation have been around since the 1800s uh, that claims that comedy will die if we are critical of the bigotry that occasionally spewed from folks uh, were, were in existence a hundred years ago. Um, so today's hysteria over the same that has been happening for a century plus is fear mongering. And it's happening in the service of shouting down valid complaints about bigotry and other ills. Um, and, this conversation, I think, is, is a necessary one, especially coming from a comedian who admits that he used to be a provocateur and, and use words and phrases and commentary just to get a rise out of people. And he, and he learned to understand why it could be difficult for people in terms of not just emotional reactions, but to get jobs, how stereotypes can, can grow and form and affect people's safety. Um, so it's a good one. Keep, give it a list. It's called Cancelled Comedy. It's the Mark Marin pod WTF. Also, while you're at it, check out friend of the show Sam Rappaport's new podcast, Earning It, the NFL's Forward Progress, which uh, tells the story of a bunch of the groundbreaking women in the NFL, coaches, staff, officials, um, you know, how Sam is changing the face of the sport, which she is, um, and she even gets Roger Goodell to cry. So check it out. Uh, don't forget, you can always tweet me at Sarah Spain if you have suggestions for guests, uh, dilemmas, or otherwise. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. <laughs>